Good job, Amanda. Good morning, church family. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. We have been making our way toward this apex, this climax of the book since we began. You will remember the narrative that we will spend the rest of our time in the book of Exodus in begins with Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And there in Exodus chapter 3, the Lord uh, comes to Moses. He appears to Moses in the most dramatic of fashions. He appears to Moses through that of a burning bush. And he does so to reveal his glory. He does so to reveal his majesty. He does so to get Moses's attention. And do you remember where Moses was when the Lord revealed himself in Exodus chapter 3 through the burning bush? The Bible tells us he was in Horeb, the mountain of God. We now make our way back to this most important mountain in the revelation of Scripture here in the Old Testament. We are back to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, where God will once again make himself known to his people. As opposed to Exodus chapter 13, when God reveals himself to Moses, here in Exodus chapter 19, God isn't going to reveal himself only to Moses, though he does reveal himself to Moses. The intended purpose of God's revelation here in Exodus chapter 19 is a revelation of God to his people, so that they might know fully what it means to be the people of God, so they might know fully who God is and, and what God expects of them. This is a culmination in this passage of Scripture of God's original call to Abram in Exodus chapter 12 and 15 and chapter 18. As God called Abram to himself and made him a promise that he would make him a father of many nations, and particularly in this case, the culmination of that being a nation that would be God's special, or as the text of Scripture says, a treasured people. This is a, fulfill, a fulfillment, a culmination of these promises of God to Abram, to Isaac, to Jacob. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, we see ourselves in this fulfillment. We ultimately come to understand that you and I are the fulfillment of these promises given to the nation of Israel in this passage of Scripture. We will note together as we journey through this Sinai experience that God has called people to himself. In this text of Scripture, God has specifically called the nation of Israel to himself. God calls people to himself so that they might know who he is and 
Secondly, that they might make him known to others. God is going to form his covenant relationship with the nation of Israel in this passage of Scripture so that they specifically would know God, and then in return, that they might make God known to all the other nations. We begin this narrative here in Exodus chapter 19 and verses 1 through 2 as Israel arrives at Sinai, and they've arrived at Sinai for a very specific purpose. They have arrived at Sinai for the purpose of worshiping God. You remember back in the narrative, the back and forth between Pharaoh and, and um, Moses, what was Moses saying to the nation of Israel or to Pharaoh? Why was Moses making a plea to Pharaoh to let the people go so that they could go a few days journey and do what? Worship. Israel has made it to the place of worship. And look what the text of Scripture tells us here in verses 1 and 2. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. So it's around day 48 that they've come into the wilderness of Sinai, into the region of of Sinai. We know from Deuteronomy that they are approximately uh, still a mile away from the foot of the mountain, but they're nevertheless in that, in that vicinity in the, in the wilderness. They've arrived on day 48, and the day that Moses would go up on top of the mountain would be day 50. They're now two months out away from the nation of Egypt. Verse 2 They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. What is God going to do for the nation of Israel here in the wilderness? What is he going to do for them as this one to two million people are encamped here in the wilderness? What is God going to do here that we will see fleshed out through the rest of the Pentateuch and not only through the rest of the Pentateuch, through the rest of the Old Testament and ultimately what God is even doing in the lives of his people today. He is here at Sinai going to recreate their moral, their ethical, and their theological character. God is going to reform the nation of Israel, to be the people that he had called them to be. You know the narrative. Joseph ends up down in in slavery um, in Egypt, and then the narrative would progress that the nation of Israel is in Egypt for more than 400 years. Israel is due, if you will, an oil change. They are due a reformatting. They need to be reconstituted, if you will, into the people that God desired for them to be all the way back from his call to Abram. He is going to recreate for them the moral, ethical, and theological foundation here at 
Sinai. What else is he going to do? He is going to build the nation of Israel here at Sinai into this mini cosmic tabernacle where God will indeed dwell with his people. This is the promise of Sinai. That in this tabernacle, God would manifest himself. But ultimately, the fulfillment of that mini tabernacle is seen in the New Testament as you and I become that tabernacle or that temple. And this is the shaping and the formatting of that theological foundation that we ultimately understand today to be the people of God, the church, those who are indwelt by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to thirdly prepare his people for a new garden of Eden. He is going to format for them Canaan land. God's original intention in the Garden of Eden was for humanity, you and me, to live forever with Him in perfect, holy communion. You remember the narrative of Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. There, Abraham, uh, there Adam and Eve had communion with the Lord. They walked with the Lord. They heard directly from the Lord. They were cared for directly by God. They had everything they needed in that garden for provision in terms of provision physically and provision spiritually. And what is God doing with the reformatting of the people here at Sinai? He's wanting Canaan land to be that new garden of Eden for the nation of Israel, but Israel would fail, and we ultimately see this new Garden of Eden not being Canaan land as we understand it today. We see that ultimately in the fulfillment of God's promises in the return of Christ when Jesus comes again, and in that coming brings the new heavens and the new earth for their friends you and I will find our ultimate fulfillment of this text of Scripture where we will indeed live for eternity in that new Garden of Eden, the earth made new for you and me where God, as He did for Adam and Eve in the garden, will be our sole source of provision physically and spiritually. We will commune forever with the Father and with the Son and with His Spirit. And this is what God is laying for you and me as a foundation here in Exodus chapter 19, or the narrative that begins in Exodus chapter 19, and this covenant relationship that He will make with the nation of Israel. So Israel is there. They're in the wilderness of Sinai. They are ready to be constituted, reconstituted as this people of God. And look what the Lord does for them here in verses 3 through 6. God offers covenant relationship to His people. He offers covenant relationship to Israel by three things that we'll notice in this text of Scripture, by reminding them of His work, by giving them covenant stipulations, and by giving them a mission. 
Hear what he says at the end of verse 3, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to all, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. These are not new words for the nation of Israel. Go back, go back with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. And what the Lord is saying to, ex, to Moses and to Israel here in chapter 19 is a narrative that he had already communicated to them in Exodus chapter 6 and verses 6 through 7. Listen what the Lord says here. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the, burden, the burdens of the Egyptians. What God promised to the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and seven is now being brought to fruition, is being fulfilled here in Exodus chapter 19 and the remainder of this narrative in the book of Exodus. This, what God has just communicated in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, is exactly what God is doing here in Exodus chapter 19 at the end of verses 3 through 4. Notice the very end of verse 3, the Bible says, and Moses went up to God. You're going to see this phrase repeated a number of times. And when you see it repeated, you should always know that something is getting ready to happen. First of all, this text is spoken with a sense of anticipation, of, of excitement. Moses went up there's a sense of urgency in this text. Moses knows that he must indeed go up to hear from the Lord, and you hear in the narrative of this text of Scripture with these words, Moses went up. A sense of excitement. In order for Moses to hear from the Lord, Moses must do what? He must go up. There's intentionality on Moses in this passage of Scripture. There is a sense of urgency on behalf of Moses in this passage of Scripture. There should be a sense of mystery for you and me in this passage of Scripture. Why? For when Moses goes up, God's people hear from the Lord. What will God's people hear from the Lord 
in this passage of Scripture, they will hear of God's desire to bring them into covenant relationship first by reminding them of God's relationship with them, of reminding them of God's past acts on their behalf. Look what Moses hears from the Lord. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God is reminding the nation of Israel of his works toward them. As God is getting ready to offer in full all of these covenant stipulations, He wants Israel at this moment to be reminded of all of God's past acts toward them. Just how good and gracious the Lord had been to the nation of Israel, the way in which God had worked on their behalf. And look at what He says with this emphatic language in verse 4. You yourself. It's as if God is actually saying to the nation of Israel, I don't need to remind you of this. You've experienced this already. You yourself, no one else, all of you know the incredible ways that God has responded on your behalf. You know this. What is it that they know? They know what God did to the Egyptians. They know the judgment that God poured out on the nation of Egypt for the way in which they treated Israel during those years of enslavement. God is again reminding the nation of Israel through this language that this promise goes all the way back to Genesis. For in Genesis, when God called himself Abram, he told Abram, every nation that blesses you, what will I do to them? I'll bless them. And every nation that curses you, what shall I do to them? I'm going to curse them. God is not only saying to the nation of Israel, you be reminded of the acts that I have done on your behalf in the last year or the last two years. God is reminding the nation of Israel of all the ways that he has responded on their behalf and the way in which he's poured out his love toward them and the judgment that he gave to the Egyptians. And look how he communicates it. How did God display his love for the nation of Israel? He bore them on wings of an, of an eagle. Now, if you know the narrative, you're probably thinking, Moses, I think God has forgotten what happened. A journey on the wings of an eagle seems to me to be an easy ride, right? The eagle swoops down, places you on his wings, and, and carries you wherever you need to go. But did Israel have an easy ride out of Egypt? Was, it, was their journey without problem? Was it without difficulty? 
You know the narrative very well, right? It was, it was great difficulty. So this narrative on the wings of an eagle is not highlighting the fact that God brought the nation of Israel out in an easy means. What God is highlighting is the strength by which he rescued the nation of Israel. The depiction of an eagle is one we know well in our own country, right? There's a reason why the United States' image is that of an eagle. It communicates strength, communicates power. And what God is reminding the nation of Israel is that their freedom only came about because of a mighty work of God. And that work can be, dis- can be displayed or imaged through that of a strong, powerful eagle upon whose wings the people of God have benefited upon whose wings the people of God have flown, flown to freedom. And here in this passage of Scripture, flown to worship, flown to commune with God, flown to be with God forever. How I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God is reminding the nation of Israel that the goal of their redemption was communion with God. God didn't ultimately bring the nation of Israel to freedom so that they wouldn't be in slavery down in Egypt so that they can make their way to Canaan land and say, hey, look at us, we have our own plot of land. God's ultimate promise, fulfillment, And redemption is so that Israel might be brought to God himself. And friends, I propose to you and me this morning that that indeed is the intended goal goal of redemption that you and I find in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has not provided you and me with redemption so that we might have a better you now. God has not brought you and me to redemption so that we might have our best life now. God has not brought you and me to redemption so that we might experience the greatest joy in life now. God has brought you and me to redemption through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might know Him so that we might know God, so that we might live with Him for eternity, so that we might live our lives now and in the future in worship of this great and glorious triune God. And yet if we confess this morning, like the nation of Israel that we will see panned out through the rest of this narrative, For too many of us, too often, the purpose of redemption and just knowing God is not enough. We desire something else. We need 
something more. We think we need something greater. We think we need a better experience. We think we need the joy of this life. We think we need the pleasures that this life has to offer. But do you see what God says? I've provided all of these things for you. Israel, I've acted in this great and glorious way for one purpose, that you might be brought to me so that you might know me. And this raises a question for your life and for my life. Are you satisfied in just being brought to God? Or do you need something more? Are you looking for something what you might perceive to be better? Are you satisfied with knowing God through the power of His Word and and His Spirit? Is your life sustained by the wisdom that is given to us through His Word? Or do you find yourself continually moving and acting and responding in ways that show you need something more than simply being brought to God. Friend, may I say to you and me this morning that there is nothing greater than what God has done for you and me through Jesus in bringing us to Himself. Would you be satisfied by that this morning? This is what Paul is writing in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places. He's giving thanks that God has done everything that is necessary for you and me by bringing us to Christ. Is that your joy this morning? Is that your hope today? Are you satisfied in that truth alone? Oh, God says, let me remind you what I've done. Let me remind you of all the ways that I've worked on your behalf. He's establishing them as his covenant people. And then notice what he does beginning here in verse 5. God not only reminds his people of what he has done for them, but now he's going to give them his covenant stipulations. And what are the stipulations of the covenant? Verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God is now going to give to the nation of Israel what it is that He's called them for. He has called them to be a people who live rightly before Him. He's called them to be a people who listen to His voice and walk in obedience toward them. Look at the language that He uses again. 
He uses language that communicates our faithfulness to the Lord is both an inward action and an outward action. Inwardly, he calls them to passionately obey his voice. In other words, the Lord is saying, hey, I want you to hear what I am saying to you, and I want you to respond to that with joy in your heart. As we're all teaching our children or grandchildren at a young age what it means to obey, we teach them to obey with joyful hearts, right? Sometimes our children can do the right thing with the wrong motive, and it's wrong. They can do the right thing with the wrong motive, and it is wrong. Why? Because God is both concerned with our inward being and our outward responses. He wants us to joyfully walk in obedience with him. This is what he's saying here. If you will obey my voice, God wants you and me to have our hearts in a right position before him so that we joyfully, faithfully respond to the Lord and the commands that he has given us and what it means to walk in obedience to him. God wants them to inwardly respond. He wants the heart to be set right before him. But he not only wants the heart to be set right before him, notice what he says, he wants their outward expression to be right as well. And keep my covenant. How do we keep God's covenant? By doing. How do we keep God's commands, Christ's commands today? By doing. This is exactly what John would write to us in, in 1 John. This is the narrative in some ways that James is also wrestling back and forth with. Faith and works. Believing rightly in our hearts and in our minds and then outwardly expressing that belief, that faith, that hope, that trust in the way in which we walk obediently with God. And Israel will soon learn what it looks like to break God's covenant stipulations. Notice the condition of this covenant of God with Israel. What's the condition of the covenant? Their obedience. As the hymn writer would say, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. This, my friends, is what God is saying to the nation of Israel. Would you trust me inwardly? Would you trust me in your heart and in your mind? And then would you outwardly obey? And look what God says about the nation of Israel, if they'll do that. They are a treasured people. Now Moses uses an interesting word here that's only used less than 
uh, two handfuls of times in the Old Testament. And it's a word that is used to communicate your most prized possession. What is that thing in your life that you absolutely want to hold on to? You'll do whatever it takes to make sure that it is secure and that it isn't going anywhere. What's the one thing that you build the bomb shelter for, right? And bury it deep underground so nothing could get to it, so that it is kept safe and secure. What's the one thing that you will do whatever it costs to make sure it is taken care of? That's the one thing that is your treasured possession. You see God, how God is responding in a very fatherly way toward His children? This is what God is saying in relationship to His children, to you and to me. This is how God views you and me. We are His most prized possession. We are His treasure possession. We are the people that He will do whatever He needs. And how has God expressed to us today that we are His most treasured possession? God has done what no other God in the history of mankind has done. He has given freely and completely of Himself to secure my redemption and your redemption. How has He done that? He has sent us Jesus. Jesus Himself Fully God and and fully man. Fully God because we learn from this text in Exodus that only God can save. Jesus cannot provide redemption for you and me unless He is fully God. Why? Only God can save. Fully man. Because only in His humanness can He who knew no sin become sin. Jesus in His humanity takes upon your sin and my sin, and He makes atonement. God, through Christ, has given His one and only Son so that you and I might have eternal life. Friends, that is what God has done for His treasured possession. Who is God's treasured possession? Those who by faith have trusted in the atoning work of Christ. Friend, if you're here today and you have never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, if you're here today and and you're still enjoying the pleasures of this world in such a way that it blinds you from seeing the glory of God in Christ, You are not this people. You are not God's treasured possession. You are separated from God. You are like the Egyptians. You deserve the wrath and the judgment and the anger of God. The Bible tells us that if you do not repent of your sins and turn to Christ by faith, that one day you too, like the Egyptians, 
will experience the wrath of God. But friend, you don't have to experience that wrath of God. You can experience this loving kindness of God today by faith, by trust, by hope in Jesus. For the Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Would you trust in Christ today? Would you believe in Jesus today? Would you become part of this covenant people of God? And notice what he says to us lastly. In becoming part of that covenant people of God, he has given to us a mission. Listen at this mission communicated here. And you shall be to me a what? Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now we know what's going to happen here in short order. We've already seen some evidences of this coming about. We're going to see this. Um, we're going to see Aaron and those who flow from Aaron become priests, and those priests are going to function in a very specific way. And in ancient Israel, and this is not what God is saying here. He's not saying that everybody is going to be part of this Aaronic priesthood in the life of the nation of Israel. There will be a group of, of priests in the life of the nation of Israel who function in a very specific way. God is talking about something greater than that priesthood. What do a kingdom of priests, what does a kingdom of priests indicate? What do what do priest, if you will, do? They mediate. They also know details of God. How do these priests know these details of God? They know the details of God by His Word, by the Torah in this case. Do you see what God is saying to the nation of Israel? I'm going to constitute you to me as a kingdom of priests, and you will be a group of people who know the details of God. How will you know the details of God? You will have my word. This is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 3 as he reflects on the benefit of being Jewish. Are there any benefits to the circumcision? Here's how Paul writes it. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Listen to what Paul says. Much in every way. What's the value of being a Jew? To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were the people who had been given the details of God through His Word. Look what God is saying. I'm going to constitute you together as a covenant group of people, and in doing so, you are going to be a kingdom of priests. Who, what are a kingdom of priests? Priests are a group of people who know details of God. How do they know details of God, friends? They have been given the very Word of God. What else do priests have? 
priest had access to God. They were the ones who had access to, to the Lord. They not only had his word, they also had access to God. They were the ones that would lead the people in worship of God. Look what God is saying to the nation of Israel. You are going to be a kingdom of priests who have direct access to God. You are going to participate in the worship of the great and glorious God. See, those outside of that priesthood, those outside of that kingdom, those who do not belong to the people of God, those who reject God, oh, they spend a lifetime building graven images, do they not? They spend a lifetime constructing sanctuaries that will only lead their hearts further away from the truth of the one true living God. Last week I read a report in Apple News that talked about the opening of one of the largest Hindu temples in the world. It just opened this past month. You know where it opened? New Jersey. New Jersey. They brought in all of this gold and marble from India and other parts of the world. It took them years and years and years and multiple millions of dollars to construct. And Hindus from all across the world and in this nation will make treks to New Jersey, bowing at the altar of false gods, trying as best as they may to gain access to God. But there, at that place, there is none. See, friends, there's only access to God when we are part of His kingdom, when we are part of His priesthood, when we have trusted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What else do the priests do? They mediate. They represent God to people. And friends, this is what Moses is saying to the nation of Israel that they should do. They are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. They are to be a group of people who not only know God, they are to be a people who make God known. And this, my friends, is the text upon which Peter himself will draw as his theological foundation and understanding of what we, as God's new covenant people, truly are. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 2 in two different places. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and then verses 9 through, 9 through 10. Listen at the language that Peter uses beginning here in chapter 2, verse 5. You'll notice some similarities. He, he emphasizes the you. You yourself. You remember the language that 
Moses, that God used to Moses in Exodus, you yourself know. You yourself. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be what? A holy priesthood. To do what? To worship. To offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy na- a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his what? Own possession. See, friends, what God intended for the nation of Israel, and they failed, is what God intends of you and me. And how do we live out this covenant promise? How do we fulfill God's promise here? We do it in the same way that was expected of the nation of Israel and the same way that God expects us through Christ in the church today. We do it inwardly and outwardly. We do it with obedient hearts, with joyful hearts, We do it by obeying the voice of God as revealed in his word, and we keep his covenant. We do what he commands us. And when we do that, we know God through his word. We spend time with God through his word. We joyfully gather with God's people on Sunday mornings to worship him. But we don't just worship on Sunday mornings, friends. We worship daily. And we worship multiple times in a day. And we do it as we represent God to a lost and dying world. Moses went up on a mountain to hear from God so that he could communicate to God's people down the mountain, how they're to live faithfully with him. And in the same way, friends, Christ has went up on that mountain for you and me. That Golgotha, that hill set on top of a hill, the highest point in Jerusalem, and there Jesus climbed that mountain. So you and I at the bottom of that mountain might know him and might represent him. How are you representing God today? How are you walking in fulfillment to this text of Scripture? How are you living out that one who is a treasured possession how are you seeking to know God more let's pray father we thank you for the revelation of yourself to us through your word we thank you that in this text of scripture God you have revealed to us Reveal to us, God, what you desire of us. You reveal to us, Lord, how we are to respond to you. You reveal to us your desires.
that we would be a people who know you and live obediently before you. So God, we ask this morning that as we bow in humble submission to you and reflect on your word, that you might cause us to be a new covenant group of people who walk rightly before you. Would you take a few moments where you're seated today and reflect on the preaching of God's word? In what way do you find yourself faithfully living as that as part of that kingdom of priests? In what ways do you find yourself seeking to know God? In what ways are you seeking to make God known? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and respond to the preaching of God's Word. Perhaps you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I have to be honest. I can't rightly fulfill these promises because my life has never been transformed or changed by the power of Christ. Would you help me know what it means to trust in Christ? As we sing, this would be an opportunity for you to come forward and speak to myself or Pastor Travis, and we would be delighted to share with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come forward to speak to one of us. There are plenty of people seated around you that would delight in sharing with you how you could become part of this kingdom of priests. Secondly, perhaps you'd like one of us just to pray with you that indeed you would be that faithful priest, that you would be a faithful follower of Christ. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, we ask that our responses be pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.